0: Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga-A to Fuga-Z. Joining me today to discuss Nice New Outfit from 1991's Steady Diet of Nothing is musician and writer Buick Audra, who is the singer and guitarist of the band Friendship Commanders and who just released, uh, as we're talking, who just released her new solo single, All My Failures. Buick, welcome to the show. How's it going?
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's going well. Great.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's nice to talk to you and it's cool to, uh, ba- like your music projects basically, Friendship Commanders sounds a bit heavy, but your solo work goes in a bit of a country-ish vein. And you know we've had a lot of musicians on this show, and I don't think we've had any who sort of dabble in the country sphere at all.
1: I know, and I, you know, it's interesting that I, I even do. I surprised myself, but the song wrote itself that way, and um, I listened, and I, I'm happy with how it turned out. But yeah, thank you. It's, it is a wide, a wide spectrum of sounds I create at present.
0: <laughs> I, I know you are. Uh, you're located in Nashville, right? I am. Yeah, I. I grew up not loving country music that much, but more and more, I've tried to branch out a little in my guitar playing. And man, I've been, uh, I've been really trying to bust out some country guitar stuff. That stuff is really fun to play and very challenging.
1: It is, yeah. I I, also, I didn't grow up with any country music at all, um, and found it in my adulthood. And the stuff that I make is actually right now kind of Americana bluegrass, but definitely in the country family. And and I love some of that playing and 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 more I love some of those feels there's like something about the the feels that exist in that world of music that really call to me
0: yeah that's very true and the different sort of tonalities and the way that instruments like a pedal steel sort of bends into chords is is kind of unique especially coming from you know punk rock and heavier music so it's an appealing Agreed. little change of pace Agreed <laughs> um So Buick, can you tell me a little about your kind of Fugazi journey and how you got into them and um, where that took you?
1: Yeah, well, credit where credit is due. I have a cousin who is eight years older than I am, who is much cooler than I am. And she was the person who got me into Fugazi when I was a kid. Um, You know, back before we could just Google everything, of course, you had to know cool people who knew about cooler music. And she was that person for me. And she was into Fugazi. And, um, yeah, I've been into them probably not right since the outset, but a couple years later. And, um, it's wild when you asked me to do this podcast, I was, I sort of took my own journey back through my life of listening to Fugazi and seeing them play. And I've arrived at the conclusion that they're hugely, uh, influential for me and I You know, I don't think about that all the time, of course, but truly some of the energy and songwriting and guitar playing, big deal for me. And um, I saw them a few times when I was younger. Of course, they haven't, you know, they're not out playing all the time right now. But um, yeah, just love them. And and Steady Diet is my favorite record of theirs. I think it's a really singular album in their catalog. And um, I have intersected with Fugazi through Ian some I, I don't know if you and I emailed about this, but i but Ian helped me put my first band's first album out. He like met up with me and and consulted with me on how to do that did I Did we talk about that?
0: No, I don't think you mentioned that. How did that come about? <laughs>
1: um so my first band was called thirty three Slade, and we were out of Boston, and we made our first album at inner ear with Jay Robbins um, and Chad Clark mastered it actually at his studio right in the front of that studio silver Sonia. um and ian and i had a bunch of mutual friends and someone had said oh this i think this is how this happens someone said you know buick is making a record with jay on, on, during this week or or something or other and would love to meet with you about putting the record out not on discord but just you know about putting records out in general because i'd never done such a thing and he called the studio one day when i was when we were tracking And I actually left maybe on like day four, I think, and went and had lunch with Ian. And we got burritos and we went to the Discord house and um, he told me how to release a record. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, that record, which is called The Way to Win, actually has a Discord uh, barcode. He gave me a barcode for that record. Wow. So I wouldn't have to buy.
0: That's so legit. That's awesome. He just sort of swooped was, in so like it, a, like a, like a mentoring angel.
1: Exactly. And he was just really straightforward about, you know, I was seeking all kinds of advice and it's funny to think about it now. Cause he was like, I hope he doesn't mind that I'm saying this, but he was like, you know, you don't need to be making records with Jay Romans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and he didn't mean, I want to clarify that he didn't mean that uh, in, as any sort of dig against Jay, he was saying like, you can make records with your friends, like for free. You know, he was sort of advocating for like this more um, you know, sort of DIY process of making saving money, not spending money on the recording process and uh, which I later did and there were some disasters with that. But
0: um <laughs> Yeah, I've heard a few disaster stories, uh people trying to Yeah, there to go were that some route.
1: disasters. <laughs> 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 yeah, that that's not um that advice doesn't work across the board, but, um, but yeah, he was great and, and just super generous with his time and his, his wisdom at that point. And, and yeah, so that's a Fugazi related story that I'm happy to have. And, and I always think of him fondly. And when that record came out a year or two later, I sent him like a physical copy of it, of course, and a thank you card. And, And he sent me back this really thoughtful postcard about how he was having his morning coffee and listening to the record and really liked it. Just really, really kind. That's so awesome. Yeah, it was.
0: (laughs) Speaking of inner ear, um, that's in the news this week. Um, We don't cover a lot of news on this podcast, but uh, yeah, just in the past week we learned, and I don't know if you saw this, Buick, but that... um, I don't know anything yeah so apparently Arlington Virginia is uh, something's going on like they're trying to create this like arts and industry district ironically and they're sort of deciding if they're going to buy up uh, land through like eminent domain including uh, basically, where inner ear is located. If they decide to do that, it's it's sort of curtains for that business in its current form, and uh, Don will have oh. to sort of pack up and and move. Um, and there have been a couple articles that I've seen where he's sort of he's not sure if you know if his hand were to be forced in that way, he might just sort of retire rather than you know he's 72 years old. He'd have to go through the trouble of setting up a whole new studio and moving all the equipment and of getting course, stuff ready. Yeah.
1: Um, that's terrible, I'm so sorry I can't believe I haven't seen that and um, I'm sorry to hear that I want to reach out to him Don was there when we made that record of course Yeah. and um, I actually played his double neck guitar on one song which was just like on a guitar stand in his office Um, because he's so cool and uh, just was the loveliest presence um, in the world when we were there it was just very affable and you know gracious about us being we we had no idea what we were doing i feel like i should throw that in there
0: right really <laughs> I, I you know think, your
1: first record it's uh
0: <laughs> i get the feeling that deep. don is very good with people who don't know what they're doing and people who do know what they're doing
1: yeah totally and i i have written to him since and you know he's just always been the same just a really generous kind person but i'm i'm sorry to hear that about Interior. that place was so great to work at i have really fond memories of it
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, for the listener, Buick and I are speaking uh, at the end of April right now, so I will. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to give you current events uh, every, you know, from week to week, but follow that story, listeners. I will surely follow it myself and uh, see what happens within inner ear because it seems like a huge deal, and I'm surprised I haven't seen it covered in, in more news. Like I don't think I've seen a Washington Post article on it at all. Um, so I'll uh, I'll keep my eyes open, as we say.
1: Wow, and I will too. Thanks for telling me. Uh, yeah, definitely. I have another Fugazi story that Ian and I talked about, um, over that lunch, which was a big enough deal that he remembered it as well. Um, when I was a kid and I mean an actual kid, I went to see Fugazi, I'm from Miami. I went to see Fugazi play at a, a venue that used to have shows. And I think is now not that called the cameo, um, on, on Miami beach. And I got knocked out during the show and they stopped, Ian stopped the show. You know, some oh, wow. kids like threw me around. Yeah. And There's actually some bootleg footage of it somewhere um, that he had seen and he remembered it. But this, you know, when I was speaking with him, it obviously, you know, when I was making that record, I was an adult and we talked about that many years later and it was wild to revisit that. So I am one of those kids that got knocked out at a Fugazi show and he shut the show down.
0: There are people out there who would complain about Fugazi prohibiting people from moshing too hard. But, yeah, when you hear the perspective of it where it's like, yeah, if you're playing a show and somebody gets seriously injured, that makes you not want to allow that sort of thing. So, yeah, Well, and
1: two, like, speaking as a, a, a woman who was a girl at that time, show culture was actually really violent yeah. when I was growing up. And girls were given no space around that. And I mean, I, I was just telling a friend this the other day when I was reviewing all of these memories for this podcast. Um, I mean, it was almost like we were treated more violently. I mean, I had garments ripped off of me at shows and, and, um, you know, at the time it didn't really feel like there was much room to think about it or complain about it or, or make a difference about it. But, um, it was a really violent, time and so in hindsight i'm really appreciative of fugazi for um having a standard of non-violence at their shows and and for advocating for that because i think that they were way way ahead of their time
0: yeah definitely ahead of the zeitgeist for sure mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome how, how did it come that you were seeing fugazi like as a kid um is this your like did your older cousin uh sort of take you there um who who made this happen no
1: i t- I'm just like one of those kids that had I'm my parents were singer-songwriters and we they we just were always out at shows. I mean, at, you know, at like 12, 13 going to shows, wow. you know, in in another city. Miami and Miami Beach are very far apart too. I should add for people that don't know the geography of those cities. They're different cities. Um but yeah, we just we just were always at shows, and I don't remember any of our parents caring at all. It's wild <laughs> to think about now. Now I, you know, I have friends with kids those ages, and it seems wild that they would be at some hardcore show, you know, being thrown around. But, and they're not at those hardcore shows, but we were. I was. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's sort of ironic that the parenting culture is different, and yet it seems like things are, in general, safer than they they were when we were kids. Um, I'd say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, well. Today, uh, Buick and I are talking about nice new outfit from Steady Diet of Nothing. Usually, I'll have some sort of introductory remark for a song. I haven't actually been able to find a lot about this one in terms of any member of the band speaking directly about it. Um, I would be very surprised if there weren't, you know, some show out there, some interview where Gee talked a little bit about this one. But but I All haven't right. been able to find any as of yet. Um, and, uh, as far as, you know, song frequency goes, uh, it's a little bit in the middle of the pack for, um, Fugazi playing this live. They didn't, uh, play it all the time, but it it wasn't exactly a rarity either. Um, it's just kind of, uh, in the middle of things and, uh, it's sort of in the middle of their career too. So, yeah, uh, yeah, other than that, I, I'll kick it to you, Buick. What do you think is the first thing you want to say about a nice new outfit?
1: Well, it was in my top five of songs that I would have wanted to speak about with you. Um, and I too looked around for things that someone might've said, because, you know, these songs came out when I was really young and I, I, I really didn't question what they were about. I knew every word, I knew every beat. Um, but I, I wasn't like dissecting them and trying to analyze what was happening with them. And so I was like, what the hell is this song about? You know, the other day. And, um, I don't know, but I love it and I love how it sounds and feels and, and the mixed feels in this song, I think are so important uh, to the way that I experience it. But I guess what I want to say is that I always assumed that this this song was about someone in the military. Hmm. I assumed that this was a military uniform. That was my sort of going assumption. Yeah. Um, and I, I also want to add that I am a clo- I designed clothing for years when I lived in New York. So I am also drawn to this because of my history with garment design and structure. So, um, the fact that this song actually addresses that and and addresses like cut and wide in the shoulders and trim at the hips, like that's a language I speak like fluently. So, um, but for some reason, the way the anger attached to that set of phrases and the sentiment the general sentiment in this song made me think that it was someone who was like a killing machine or involved in some sort of um I don't know crimes against humanity or something so to me it always was like military or something like that you
0: yeah (laughs) first of all I'd like to say it seems that Guy is almost like a stealth fashionista type um a hundred
1: percent yeah like he (laughs) never
0: he never exactly was wearing like haute couture right but he definitely had maybe more of a sense than the other guys of like of like clothes that flattered his silhouette i guess Um, Yeah. yeah yeah he would he would always wear these sort of you know, t-shirts with sort of, sort of like shorter sleeves. Um, always wearing pants. He would. I don't think I ever saw him in shorts, even though like everybody else in no. the band always wore shorts. So he had this sort of fashion sense to him, without being overtly like a fashionable guy.
1: Yeah, there's there's a standard for sure for gay. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I didn't know you were a clothes designer too. That's that's very cool. And uh, I guess. I didn't even imagine that I could would like seek out a clothes designer to uh, be my guest on this song. So I'm glad it just happened <laughs> that way.
1: And that they would pick nice new outfit. It's true. <laughs> it's happened, Ian. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think this, um, you know, talking about this really tailored look, you like the cut, you like the fit, widen the shoulders, trim at the hips. In your nice new outfit, all straight clean lines. There's blood in your mouth, but not in mine. So that's where I go to... It's somebody who's in this really impeccably tailored uniform, but also there's blood in their mouth. I don't know. To me it's military.
0: Yeah. But I'm that's, open to
1: other ideas.
0: Yeah, I think there's definitely like a concern about war and military at the heart of this song. Um, I did not previously mm-hmm. think about like a literal military uniform though. That's that's a good concept. Um, I g <laughs> for some reason the thing image that always popped into my head I know that the line, all straight, clean lines, is probably, you know, yep. talking about the, the silhouette of the suit. But for some reason, I was just picturing... That's like
1: that's also military.
0: Well, that's true, yeah. I, I think for some reason, I always just pictured a pinstriped suit, even though I don't think that's what is referring to, but it's just what came to my mind, I guess.
1: See, to me, it it harkens to this, like, the, like the military bed-making, sort of like everything has to be straight and clean. And I don't know. I... I've always assumed this, but again, I have nothing to back this up. This is just my (laughs) personal interpretation.
0: Yeah. So uh, as far as that goes, the military um, subject matter of this song, I think the most revealing line um, about that is uh, uh, sort of toward the end when he says, uh, you can pinpoint your chimney and drop one down its length. Um, And sort of, this is basically... um, yeah, it's referring to sort of smart bombs, like laser-guided bombs that were really first yeah. used in the first Gulf War. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you looked up...
1: And you're number one with a bullet. Yes. That's right. money well spent. I mean...
0: Um, yeah, I I too, like when these songs were being written... I was a little kid and I I didn't yeah. I wasn't politically aware at the time I was in elementary school. Um but yeah, the first Gulf War I did a little research um apparently the precision guided bombs were really first developed during the Vietnam era but yeah, that first Gulf War was the first extensive use of them um about mm. 8 to 10% apparently of mun- munitions dropped in total. Were precision guided and um, so for for military nuts out there i think i, I saw this on air force magazine uh, online the smart weapons most widely used were paveway twos and paveway threes and um, oh. they apparently had an average accuracy of 10 feet of whatever their target was supposed to be the new york times called the laser guided bomb the invention that shaped the gulf war so yeah, that, that line about um, pinpointing a chimney and dropping one down its length. It's really referring to that. And when you look at the timeline of things, the Gulf War... Yeah, yep. it began January 17th, 1991 was, I think, the first like actual uh, action on the part of the United States. And mm-hmm. Fugazi first played this song live February 20th. And I believe the album Here. came out in July of that year.
1: Yeah. So I think we're on to something. I think we're <laughs> <laughs> we're working with a good theory. Um, but yeah, this that's uh I'm look I'm reading the lyrics as we're talking about it. Um,
0: a bit of a shout out also to Kuriki because this um you know the laser guided bomb things, it's a little bit of a theme that Ian revisits in the song Clean Kill, which I guess is more about drone warfare. Right. Um, not the not the same thing, but um yeah, it's thematically similar.
1: Yeah, you're right. Uh,
0: um but yeah, so basically I think what it boils down to with the nice new outfit is the the way that the Iraq War is or rather was sold to the public in in a PR mm-hmm. sort of way, right? The 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 propaganda they use to dress up the war effort to get people to buy into it.
1: Exactly, and he's he's saying you think that I'm a sucker for it that mm-hmm. we're all you know we're all fodder for this. Although I will admit that when I was a kid, I thought he said we're all brought up for this, hmm. um, which also works. That would also absolutely <laughs> work. <laughs> but um, I want to say too that as a young person, and still, it was so cathartic. Uh, at the end of the song, you know, in the several times refrain of sorry about the mess. And then the last time he says, you're a fucking mess. Uh-huh. Man, was that a satisfying thing to <laughs> shout along with, you know.
0: That's, absolute. I don't know your philosophy as a songwriter about using the word fuck in songs. Some people just like. I do don't. it. Yeah, you I do I use it. it. <laughs> I think, but I think my favorite way that songwriters ever use it is, Like exactly that. If there's a repeated refrain, and then the last time they put, they insert the word "fuck" in there. (laughs) Here I'm thinking mainly of like "Touch Me, I'm Sick" by Mud Honey, like that. Yeah, that is a fantastic use of the old F word.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it's so satisfying. And this was one of those songs where it was just like the perfect placement, and then the feel changes right after he says that one. You know, and it's it's great. It's a great moment.
0: Yeah, it's so much more effective than if he said it that every time. It's um yeah, oh yeah. Textbook uh example of how to use some profanity in a song.
1: Perfectly done. 10 out of 10. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Something else before I was thinking of like the war effort being sold to people um via PR. I was also thinking maybe it could be referring to the president like it's um you know there might be a new president in office. I guess, you know, uh H.W. Bush had been in office for a couple of years when the song came out but yeah that's right um, Mm -hmm. yeah but but like yeah new president new suits but on the same system basically the same um entrenched interests who are you know allied with other entrenched interests in certain geopolitical allies and cause us to go to war every once in a while
1: yep um and it's such a if if any of these things are true meanwhile this song's probably just about, you know, Karl Lagerfeld. Who knows what's going on, but, um, and if it is, amen, but, um, but if it is this more political, um, sort of angle, I think it's such a brilliant type of protest song because he's really like, um, thumbing his nose at the person as opposed to just sort of like shouting them down. There's a, there's a real, um, uh sort of there's a gracefulness to the way that this kind of protest is being made. It's mm-hmm. observational and the person is not in crisis like he is not in crisis talking about it. You know, it's not it's not like reactive. It's very it's very clean. It's um, kind of
0: like I'm above this. Um, it is, yeah. and it's
1: like I see your bullshit. I'm swearing on the show. Sorry, I swear all the time. And that's um, okay.
0: It's marked explicit for exactly that reason.
1: Great swearing on the show. We've already <laughs> we've already talked about the last line. So, yep. we've, but um, but yeah, it's there's a there's a real um, elegance to the way that this protest is being made, if that's what this is to me. And also the music is so refined in this one. You know, it's it's a really um, it's a really together composition
0: to me yeah the composition is uh, and again i am not sure if this is the case but it strikes me as something like the main riff is something that Gee came up with um because uh, yeah it, it's it's sort of like this unique um one two three four it's like that yeah the first chord is like on the on the one but all the other chords are on off beats um yeah i i I guess I think of Ian MacKay as more of like a real downbeat focused guitarist. And like, he's, he's so good with that. Um, So yeah, it seems to me that this is a gee riff.
1: It does, but there's this beautiful, you know, there's the guitar mini moment rare kind of for them, which I, you know, when I was listening to this song again, the other day preparing for this, I was like, this, this influenced me the most, this part, like, I, when I first started playing guitar, I didn't play chords. I only played single note melodies like that. Um, and I absolutely would say that Tugazi had something to do with that the way that I, they sort of deconstructed form and allowed that to happen and not needed everything to have rhythm guitar underneath it. Because right. there is no rhythm guitar in that section. <laughs> or it's, it's everyone and no one playing rhythm guitar, you know, but it's the, the, that beautiful single note section.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the sort of thing that can contribute to the sometimes like spare feel of steady diet as a, as an album on the whole. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess, um, mainly the, the bass is following along with, uh, that main guitar part too. But then, yeah, to me, the magic comes a little bit later on when the guitars start harmonizing with each other.
1: Yeah. That's the part.
0: Yeah. They, it, um, it's sort of like presages stuff they would do later in songs like arpeggiator public witness yep. program. Yeah. That's, that's where the money is for me in this song. Um, I like that part a lot. <laughs> um,
1: I also like the conflict though, that's presented in the guitars, you know, in the other sections that sort of diggy, diggy, dang, diggy, diggy, To me, that stuff is the, that's the expression of conflict, but it's very tight. It's sort of like bullet fire, Um, and I, yeah, as I mentioned earlier on in the talk, the, the mixed feels in this song are what really make my hair stand up and how it's so effortlessly done and it all works. It doesn't feel like a math problem, you know?
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The, the, um, I think somebody was saying that before about the beginning of facet squared sounding a little bit like, uh, like sort of tracer bullets, um, just reminding them of footage of that first Gulf War. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if that just whole thing the sort of militarization of things um was haunting Fugazi's composition during this era. Sure. I did uh, I I found an interesting article speaking of which by the way, I I'm, I'm coming back to this one more time, but I found it interesting that um apparently when you can compare the two Gulf Wars um and just sort of take a public opinion poll about them the the majority view seems to have it that you know the the 2003 um, <laughs> uh, clusterfuck I guess I want to say is yep. w- w- very much like negatively viewed and um, I think the the majority view is that it was unnecessary and that we we're sort of lied into it. Whereas the first Gulf War, there's a very different perception, but in fact. Um it seems that a lot of very similar lies were used to sell that war also. Um yep. I was reading a pretty interesting article about this and I, I had never read deeply into it before. But there were things like, you know, there were intelligence reports that Iraqi troops were massed on the border with Saudi Arabia, um that turned out not to be true. There's there there are these like stories about um Iraqi uh, soldiers going into Kuwaiti hospitals and taking babies out of incubators and like letting them die on the in the streets. That turned out not to be true. Um, so there's there's this in, enormous PR blitz based around the first yep. Gulf War. And I uh, again, I was a kid at the time. I was not aware of it. Um, but uh, it seems like Guy was.
1: It does seem like Guy was. Guy was a little bit older than we are, so yeah. <laughs> he, had his, he had his finger on the pulse of what was happening, and, and I'm grateful for it. But yeah, I, I, I do think that this has to be connected to that. I don't, I mean, again, I'm open to the Karl Lagerfeld theory, but, um, but I I just like to rag on Karl Lagerfeld as someone who, you know, has been in fashion.
0: If, I mean, can we explore that? Is there a chance that this is Guy just sort of, um, casting a certain attitude about people who are clothes obsessed? Does the lyrics track that way?
1: Well, only the quick purchase once brought to market, dress it up and it's sold. I mean, but the rest of it, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't, yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, no. And oh, Okay, so the we haven't talked about this section. Um, the place I'm offered is a bedsitter's tour, a worthless sightsee of your, and I feel like we have to say adventure just because (laughs) of of the way that it's sung, you know,
0: (laughs) it's a very like Mick Jagger delivery or something.
1: Yeah. Let us be loyal to the pronunciation, um, in your nice new outfit, all straight, clean lines. So that part really gets away from the fashion, um, narrative to me and brings us back to this other space, I think. Um
0: yeah, I, I guess it's um I I, I it works on a couple levels but basically being um yeah, something bad being dressed up as something better than it actually is. Yeah. Uh, hmm. With the yep. <laughs> which I guess when it comes to actual fashion, that's that's what you want, make me look better than I actually look. Um
1: <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and listening to this song with, like, adult ears and thinking about it just this week, I wanted to say, too, that I really noticed how cool it was that the vocal is doubled every time he says, in your nice new outfit. That is so awesome. Like, it really lifts it, but in this way that your mind doesn't necessarily care about, unless you're really paying attention. But he always elevates that by doubling it vocally.
0: Yeah, that's... um I was at first I was like is that is that Ian backing up gee on that but I yeah I do think it is just
1: I think it's gee.
0: Yeah, two gees.
1: <laughs> yep, but it's great. It's such a it does that it does the job so that it is the refrain, you know, but it's like just mixed in with the rest of of the the lyrics.
0: Something that came to my mind when I was listening to this most recently is basically that it's Dylan-esque. Um, are you a fan of Bob Dylan?
1: I am. I'm willing to go down this path. <laughs> it's,
0: it's <laughs> yeah, something about this, like, sardonic, oh, you've got a nice new outfit there. It's very leopard-skin pillbox hat, if you know that song. Yeah. Um, yep. It seems to me that there's a lot of early Bob Dylan that has that kind of attitude, like, oh, you think you're so hot, but uh, let me tell you something, Jack, you ain't nothing, you know. There's this. Except
1: I think Dylan's always talking about women.
0: Yeah, that's He's probably true. He's always sort <laughs> of
1: slamming women. Like as a woman I will say in in defense of women, I think Dylan takes a lot of shots at women. I that, agree. In that yeah. body in that time. Um and I feel like Gee was above that for the most part and and was not slinging mud at women unless it was like Margaret Thatcher. And I'm willing to believe it's Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? But I think it's a very specific thing in his case, you know. Um, yeah. I, I think that's the difference.
0: Yeah. I don't think many women are in Guy's crosshairs in this song. I think uh,
1: nope, it's not it. It feels like a man and it feels like a military figure or something, some sort of leader.
0: Dick Cheney and all the usual suspects. Right. <laughs> um, do you, do you have, I mean, if you want to speak about the sort of military uniform aspect of it, do you have a, like a special sense of that sort of as a clothing designer, like what makes a military uniform effective? Like what are are they going for? What are they trying to communicate other than of course, uniformity?
1: Oh God, I've never thought about that. (laughs) Um, I think it depends on the rank of the military person for sure. Um, Yeah. um, I mean,
0: I'm not very well educated on the subject either. I mean, I know there's like battle fatigues and, dress uh, right there's like
1: right then there's like really high-ranking officials with all kinds of you know um decoration and that sort of thing um i don't know uh (laughs) and i I haven't thought about it but i i did just learn the other day this is sort of related that hugo boss designed the 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 german nazi uniforms
0: i had heard that yeah
1: i I just at this moment in my life am learning this um and And I was like, what? I mean, not that I've done a ton of digging on that either, but I was like, whoa, that's a, you know, that's quite a credit.
0: I'm sure books uh, have been written very interestingly on this whole subject. Um, Just never occurred to me before to look into it, but I'm sure it would be good reading.
1: Yep. (laughs) But the trim at the hips, that's what tips me off that that it's military. It's that sort of, that, triangular shape of the broad shoulder and then the very narrow hip you know that was so iconic Hmm. i feel like in military dress interesting Um, yeah
0: i so i sort of feel like that's a lot of fashion isn't it maybe just more so in military only
1: in certain times (laughs) only in certain um certain eras
0: right right i guess uh yeah when was i guess early 90s would be pretty big wide shoulder times, right? Still a lot of shoulder padding going on.
1: Yeah, you'd have some leftover 80s silhouettes. The 90s definitely changed things. Um, but yeah, yeah it, you'd have some, some 80s ideas happening.
0: Yeah, it seems like whenever I watch early Friends or whatever, I'm like, oh yeah, the 80s didn't really end until the 90s were well underway. <laughs> so
1: No. But yeah. it doesn't sound like he's talking about Fran Drescher who had the wide <laughs> in the shoulders and turn at the hips.
0: You know? <laughs> yeah. If uh, if this were a Bob Dylan song, maybe it would be about Fran <laughs> Drescher. Exactly. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, um, I think that's most of what I had to say about the lyrics. Um. Yep. Is there anything else you had on your list?
1: I think that's, I think that's it.
0: Cool. Let me um, give a sampling of what our listeners had to say on social media, on the Facebook page called The Alphabetical Fugazi. We had a few people chime in about this one. Adam Davis says, interestingly, uh, quote, This has always been one of the most ska-punk sounding Fugazi songs to me without being ska-punk. The way the post-chorus bounces, the way the bass line walks around, the vocal delivery. I could imagine Suicide Machines or Operation Ivy writing this song. Um, To which Rudy Baines replies, wow, now I can't stop imagining that main riff played through a brass section and it works beautifully. Something cool to consider there.
1: Wow. Uh, I'm listening to the song in my head as I'm hearing you say those
0: those quotes.
1: (laughs) Um, I've written with Jesse Michaels of Operation Ivy and uh, (laughs) it's an interesting, I don't hear it as a ska thing, But I would like to hear Operation Ivy do it.
0: It's Um, so hard for me to hear Fugazi songs as like other genres of things.
1: I I mean, I'll tell you what, when I looked up the lyrics for this, some Google page came up, you know, that contained a bunch of information about it. And it said that this record was emo hardcore. And I was like, what is happening? I mean, I am am not aware that I've ever listened to an emo record in my life. But apparently this um, qualifies so, yeah, the genre thing is, like, wild. I don't, I've never thought about Fugazi genre ever. I just
0: thought have, it was Fugazi. Have you ever considered, um, like, would there be a, any Fugazi song that you think you could sort of cover in your, uh, in your style as a solo artist? Do you think any would work?
1: I would cover By You.
0: Wow, that is a nice choice.
1: Yeah. I would love I, to hear that what, actually. That's what comes to mind immediately. I think that's such a beautiful piece of writing. And I feel like it could be done and taken out of its Fugazi space and into something else.
0: That's a song that could use more covers for sure. We have enough of uh, yeah. waiting room at this point. <laughs> Not many of Bayou. Don't
1: wait. <laughs> yeah. But I thought Bayou, I remember when that record came out and it just had this like standalone thing to it. And I saw them. You know, I've seen them perform that and watching Joe come up and sing that was really mesmerizing and powerful. Agreed. Um, so yeah, by you is my my choice.
0: <laughs> Make it happen. Now we're all we're all going to be waiting for it to happen.
1: <laughs> right. Now I have to be accountable to it.
0: <laughs> Auntie Varala says, catchy riffs and melodies. I actually think this could be one of the most accessible Fugazi tracks. Love the lyrics too. This track along with Stacks, made me smile like a fool the first time I spinned the record. Um, James Vitato says, this song is about the military technology used during the first Gulf War. he has hey. talked about it before. He mentioned how CNN would show videos of basically a remote control war, armchair combatants dropping smart bombs half a world away.
1: Yep.
0: Yeah, it's it's such a complex topic and I'm not sure... Yeah, I'm not sure how to get into that because, like, you would think, well, if the alternative to dropping smart bombs is not dropping bombs and you know being less of a of a war of a country, then yes, I would like the latter alternative. But if the alternative is using clumsier bombs that cause more um, collateral damage, then maybe smart bombs are a good thing. It seems like a seems like a really complex topic, but I, gu- I guess you know uh the more it seems a good thing the more it emboldens um the military to go out and uh you know make more strikes. Yep. Yeah. It's uh yeah, i i i guess this is another topic i could use uh, some like reading and uh, analysis by experts about cuz it would be Same. Yeah, interesting to hear about that. Same. Um Jared Coffin says the breakdown at 136 is so great the way they harmonize the guitars. Might be the first yeah. song Fugazi did this and returned to in so many later songs, uh, like the yep. end of Smallpox Champion. Yes, uh, absolutely, Jared. Um, yeah, I I didn't think about whether they had done something like this earlier. Um, nothing's I immediately coming so. to mind. Yeah,
1: yeah. Hmm. I don't think so. It was this record, I think, was a real lift-off for Fugazi, and and I I knew as soon as you contacted me that I wanted to talk about something off of Steady Diet. I originally wanted to do. Reclamation, because I'm an abuse survivor, and that that song has been so important to me in my life. Um, but but this was runner up. Nice new outfit was runner up.
0: Well, I mean, speaking of that, let's talk about ratings. <laughs> On this show we try to give each song a rating from 1 star to 5 stars in the context of the Fugazi catalog. It sounds to me like I know where you're going to come down, five. but um yeah, I'll 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 let you say it.
1: 5 plus for me. <laughs> 5 plus. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, I'm being selfish in my in my praise because I I really got to connect with how influential this song was for me as a young musician um when I was preparing to come onto your show, but, um, yeah. And two, I, I also want to talk about, um, I mean, I talked about how, how elegant this song is as a protest song, but man, is there a cooler singer in the world than Guy? I don't know who it is, you know, with the, you like the cut, you know, everything was just so like, um, smooth, you know, it's just, it's such a well-delivered dig. And I, I love a well-delivered dig. That's my favorite, you know, that's my favorite genre. So, um,
0: Um, yeah, yeah, I love it. Something about Guy's delivery a lot of the time, it's, in a way, it's very rock and roll, but somehow, like, not cliche rock and roll, just something, something classic about it without being stale.
1: To me, it's so felt, Mm. um, you know and and also i would believe you if you told me that he sang every song one time in the studio and that was it that it wasn't this thing where he labored over a performance for 20 takes you know
0: that does strike me as something that could be true with a lot of his songs yeah yeah um i that's that's a question i would love to ask him someday if i ever got the chance i'll add it to my list
1: yeah it's a, because everything feels you know, as a person that's recorded a bunch of vocals in my life, everything feels exactly felt. Not like it's being delivered for our benefit, but that it's being delivered in the way that his mind and body deliver it, you know, in, in the story. And I I do think that, there, that we receive that kind of performance differently as listeners.
0: Totally. Um, on my part... Believe it or not, I think this comes in a little below average as a Fugazi song for me. I might have to go like two and a half stars. Yeah, it's like, it's not that there's anything in particular wrong with it. Just like there's so many other great Fugazi songs. I think this is like a little below the halfway mark for me.
1: Agree to disagree.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, so this would be in your top five though?
1: Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, for sure. It, it was in my top five as soon as you contacted me. And then I had the crisis of alphabet to contend with. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, but, um, it is a but crisis I want to say sure. too, when you asked me first about my Fugazi stories and whatever, um, I didn't say that I, I put away my solo work for 10 years, uh, before this last single that I just released. That's my first solo release in 10 years. And, um, <clears throat> Prior to that I really struggled with my solo work because of some bad experiences with collaborators and and difficult situations and I did a tour before I put my solo work down for 10 years called Reclamation Tour named after the song <clears throat> and um and I made all of my dress all of my wardrobe for that tour and every single dress had a had a line from Reclamation written on the inside of the waistband Oh so it God. was an entire tour where I wore the song "Reclamation" for myself. Nobody else could see it, but I, but I wrote about it and I talked about it over the course of the tour, um, that it was, you know, a true reclamation for me. And um, even though that song, I believe, is about bodily autonomy, and that's why it's so important to me, I, I also just believe it's claiming our own personhood and our own autonomy. So, I, I wanted to throw that in there as part of my experience with Fugazi.
0: That's really beautiful. I love that idea. Um, you mentioned your new single, let me give you a chance to do more plugs. What's, what's what's the name of it? Where can listeners hear it? Where can listeners uh, check out more about you and anything else you, uh, you want to
1: say? Uh, so my new single is called all my failures and it's about, um, the middle of the night panic attacks I've lived with for more than 10 years and what they tell me about my self-worth and, um, You can find it, you know, everywhere that you find music. My name is Buick Audra. I'm the only person in the world named Buick Audra, so it shouldn't be hard to find me. That's nice. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's like a, it's an an Americana bluegrass song with some really incredible people who played on it and who worked on it. Um, I recorded it here in Nashville during the pandemic, and everybody recorded themselves last year because we couldn't all get into a studio together. So it's Jerry Douglas from Allison Krauss and Union Station, Brian Sutton, who is one of the great bluegrass guitar players alive on earth, Lex Price, my favorite bass player, uh, Jerry Rowe, who is my bandmate in Friendship Commanders, and then Trina Schumacher, who's amazing, mixed the song and Dan Scheich mastered it. And um, it just premiered on Rolling Stone as one of their country picks of the week. I'm very proud. And um, yeah, it's been a big deal for me to return to it. Talk about reclamation. So in the middle of being in my Doom Sludge metal band, Friendship Commanders, (laughs) I also did this. So I'm doing both right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Congratulations on the props from Rolling Stone. And I must say, I, I mean listening to that song I never would have guessed that it was all like sort of done remotely by all the musicians um really came together nicely thank you
1: appreciate Um,
0: that yeah cool well listeners I will drop some links in the show notes as usual so you can just scroll down and click on those without even having to google and uh listen to Buick's new single and yeah thanks for being on the show Buick great to talk to you
1: thanks for having me and and truly thank you for including women in this conversation I know it's a sort of weird thing to say, but I really appreciate women being included all places where rock music is being discussed. So thank you.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you for breaking a, a, we're helping break a dry spell. We've had a little bit. Um, We've had too many men on the show. I recognize it listeners. And uh, (laughs) I, I I am welcoming any uh, women who uh, want to be on the show. Please don't be under the impression that I'm turning them away. I'm not. So Again, check out Buick's stuff, and as for me, nothing other than yeah, give the show a rating on Apple Podcasts if you like it. You can email me at fugazi a to z at gmail.com, and you can join that Facebook group that I talked about before called the Alphabetical Fugazi. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing Night Shop. Until then, keep your eyes open. This is my last